Chapter Four of Molly Brown's Junior Days by Nell Speed. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Literary Evening. The entertainment designed to bring Miss Minerva Higgins to a true understanding of her position as a freshman took place one Friday evening in the rooms of Margaret and Jessie. It was called on the invitation a literary evening and was to be in the nature of a spread and fudge affair. There had been two rehearsals beforehand and the girls were now prepared to enjoy themselves thoroughly. Molly was loath to take part in the literary evening. I can't bear to see anybody humiliated, even when she ought to be, she said, but she consented to come and to give a recitation. Several study tables had been united for the supper, the cracks concealed by Japanese toweling contributed by Otoyo. There was no Mrs. Murphy in the quadrangle from whom to borrow tablecloths. All the chairs from the other rooms were brought in to seat the company, who appeared grave and subdued. Most of the girls were dressed to resemble famous poets and authors. Judy was Byron, Margaret Wakefield, George Eliot, Nance, Charlotte Bronte, Edith Williams, Edgar Allan Poe, and Molly was Shelley. Shakespeare, Voltaire, and Charles Dickens were in the company, and the Duchess impersonated by Jessie Lynch. The unfortunate Minerva was a little disconcerted at first when she found herself the only girl at the feast in her own character. Why didn't you tell me so that I could have come in costume too? She asked Margaret. But you had your medals, was Margaret's enigmatic answer. Minerva looked puzzled. Then her gaze fell to the shining breastplate of silver and gold trophies. She had worn them all this evening. The temptation had been too great. The medals gleamed like so many solemn eyes. She wondered if the others could read what was inscribed on them, or if it would be necessary to call attention to the most choice ones. The highest general average for four years, regular attendance, mathematics, the best historical essay, English and composition. Edith opened the evening by delivering a speech in Latin, which was really one of Virgil's eclogues mixed up with whatever she could recall of Livy and Horace, and filled out occasionally with Latin prose composition. It was so excruciatingly funny that Judy sputtered in her tea and was well kicked on her shins under the table. Minerva, however, appeared to be profoundly impressed, and the company murmured subdued approvals when, at last, the speaker took breath and sat down, gazing solemnly around her with dark, melancholy eyes, very much blacked around the lids. Margaret then delivered a learned discourse on poise of body and poise of mind, which was skillfully expressed in such deep and intricate language that nobody could understand what she was talking about. Very, very interesting indeed, observed Edith. Remarkable, wonderful, so clearly put, came from the others. Minerva rubbed her eyes and frowned. Nance recited the raven, translated into very bad French. This was almost more than their gravity could endure, and when she ended each verse with De la Carbeau, jamais plus, many of the girls stooped under the table for lost handkerchiefs and Japanese napkins. But it was not until Judy had sung a lullaby in Sanskrit, so-called, that Minerva became at all suspicious. Even then it was the wrong kind of suspicion. She thought that perhaps she should have laughed, and the others had politely refrained because she hadn't. After a great deal of learned talk, Molly stood on a soapbox and recited, Curfew shall not ring tonight. 
This was the crowning joy of that famous evening, but still Minerva appeared seriously impressed. I recited that once at Milltown High School, she remarked. Can't you give us something tonight? asked Molly kindly, feeling that in some way the unfortunate Minerva ought to be allowed to join in. I don't know that I ought to give another poem by the same man, she replied, except that Miss Olam gave the raven in French. Don't tell us you know the bells, demanded Edith Williams in a trembling whisper. Oh, yes, I've given it at lots of school entertainments. We had better turn down the lights, said Margaret. The room should be in darkness except the side light where Miss Higgins will stand. That will be the spotlight. This was a fortunate arrangement because while Minerva recited the bells with all proper gestures, intonations, and echoes, according to Cleveland's recitation book, the girls silently collapsed. When she had finished, they were reduced to that exhausted state that arrives after a supreme effort not to laugh. At last, the entertainment came to an end. Minerva departed with some of the others, while those who lived close by remained to chat for a few minutes. I give up, exclaimed Margaret Wakefield. Minerva is beyond teaching. She must remain forever the smartest girl in Milltown High School. The only pity of it is that it was all wasted on one humorless person. We really furnished her with a most delightful entertainment, and she never even guessed it, declared Nance. I'm glad she didn't, remarked Molly. It was cruel, I think. Suppose she had caught on. Do you think it would have helped her? And we would have been uncomfortable. Suppose she did understand and pretended not to. The joke would have been decidedly on us, put in Catherine. Later events of that evening would seem to bear out the suggestion, although just how deeply, if at all, Minerva was implicated in what followed, no one could possibly tell. It was a question long afterwards in dispute whether one person had managed the sequel to the literary evening or whether there had been a confederate. Certainly it seemed that every imp in Bedlam had been set free to do mischief, and if Minerva, as arch-imp, was looking for revenge, she found it. I don't like to appear inhospitable, girls, but it's five minutes of ten, and I think you'd better chase along, said Margaret Wakefield. But when Judy laid hold of the knob and tried to open the door, it would not budge. It won't open, she exclaimed. What's to be done? What was to be done? They pulled and jerked and endeavored to pry it open with a silver shoehorn and a pair of scissors, and at last Jessie, as the smallest, was chosen to climb over the transom and go for help. It was five minutes past ten, and they prudently turned out the lights. Let me get at that knob just once before we work the transom scheme, ejaculated Margaret, who was very strong and athletic. People always think they can open tin cans and doors and pull stoppers when other people can't, observed Judy sarcastically. Margaret treated this remark with contemptuous indifference. Seizing the knob with both hands, she turned it and, putting her knee to the jam, pulled with all her force. The arc fiend on the other side must have turned the key at this critical moment, for the door flew open and the president tumbled back as if she had been shot from a catapult, knocking a number of surprised poets and authors into a tumbled heap. They were all considerably bruised and battered, and Margaret bit her tongue, a severe punishment for one whose oratory was the pride of the class. Hush, whispered Jessie, who alone had escaped the tumble. Here comes the house matron. Softly she closed the door, and the girls waited until the danger was over. Then Margaret hastened to examine the keyhole. There's no key in it, she whispered, speaking with difficulty because her tongue was bleeding from the marks of two teeth. 
whoever played the trick must have unlocked the door jerked the key out and fled the instant the matron appeared at the end of the corridor there was no time to discuss the mystery however she would be coming back in two minutes again they waited in silence until they heard the swish of her dress as she went past the door now left open a crack in order that judy lying flat on her stomach on the floor and enjoying herself immensely might be on the lookout come on she hissed as the large rotund figure of mrs pelham was lost in the darkness and out they scuttled like a lot of mice loosed from the trap but the evening's adventures were not over as judy in advance of molly and nance pushed open their door already ajar a small pail of water placed on the top of the door by the arch imp whoever she was fell on judy's head and deluged her it contained hardly a quart of water but it might have been a gallon for the wreck it made of judy's clothes and the room oh but i'll get even with somebody exclaimed that enraged young woman they turned on the green-shaded student's lamp and drew the blinds the night watchman being very vigilant at the dormitories and began silently mopping up the floor with towels judy removed her wet clothes and unbound her long hair light in color and fine as silk in quality i can't go to bed she announced until i find out what's happened to the gemini and without another word she crept into the corridor nance whispered molly when they were alone if minerva higgins did this she's about the boldest freshman alive today but after all we can't exactly blame her considering what we did to her she is taking great chances replied nance who had a thorough respect for college etiquette and class case every pert freshman must be prepared for a call-down and if she doesn't take it like a lamb she'll just have to expect a freeze-out it's much better for her in the end if minerva were allowed to keep this up for four years she would be entirely insufferable she's almost that now don't you think she could find it out without such severe methods severe methods indeed answered nance indignantly do you call it severe to be asked to sup with the brightest girls in wellington margaret's speech alone was worth all the humiliation minerva might have felt but she didn't feel any do you consider that rough crude jokes like this are going to be tolerated but we don't know that minerva played them yet pleaded molly i do admit though that it must have been a very ordinary person who could think of them margaret might have been badly hurt if she hadn't fallen on top of the rest of us presently judy came stalking into their bedroom it's just as i expected she announced the williams's bed was full of carpet tacks and mabel hinton fell over a cord stretched across her door and sprained her wrist she is at bound with arnica now i don't see how minerva could have had time to do all those things broke in molly there are some rare and very just natures and molly's was one of them which will not be convinced by circumstantial evidence alone she would have had plenty of time argued judy it would hardly have taken five minutes provided she had planned it all out beforehand besides it's easy for you to talk molly you didn't bite your tongue or sprain your wrist or get a ducking or undress in the dark and get into a bed full of tacks you escaped disgusting came nance's muffled voice from the covers it is horrid admitted molly whoever did it minerva broke in judy must have a very mistaken idea of college and the sorts of amusement that are customary so the argument ended for the night end of chapter four 
Recording by D.R. Baker Robinson.